This is Tommy's Outdoors 123, 123. And today, once again, we are going to talk about MPAs. MPA stands for Marine Protected Area. And as you may know, this is one of the key, if not the key, tool in ocean conservation and protection, protecting our seas. But MPAs, um, like people think that MPA is like a totally protected area and no activities uh, can go on in there, which is not true. Depending on what we're trying to protect, there are different um, levels of protection in marine protected areas. And that means that those marine protected areas need management plans. And um, developing those management plans uh, is something that are doing our friends at MARPAM project. And today we are going to talk about management plans for marine protected areas. Our guests are Amy Williams, project officer at Agril MPA Planning and Data at Scottish Natural Heritage, Dr. David Stevenson, MPA Management Policy Officer for Northern Ireland, and PJ Maguire, MPA Management Policy Officer for Ireland. Uh, and just a reminder that the MARPAM is a project which is supported and financed by European Union's Interreg VA program. So folks, anyone interested in ocean conservation, I'm sure you will find this episode very interesting. Uh, and uh, we talk a lot about developing uh, those management plans. And I'm not going to drag this any longer. Just a, just a quick reminder that uh, you should head on to tommysoutdoors.com shop and you can buy one of those uh, Tommy's Outdoors t-shirts that I'm wearing right now and one of those Tommy's Outdoors hats that I'm wearing right now. And if you're listening to audio-only version of this podcast, you can head on to YouTube, Tommy's Outdoors YouTube channel, and you can see and how they look. And while you're there, uh, don't forget to give a thumbs up. Uh, that's a great help. And also buy books from the list of my books, tommysoutdoors.com slash books. And uh, there's a plenty of uh, lovely nature books that, uh, you know, I'm sure you will enjoy if you're enjoying this podcast. And finally, if you like what I do here on this podcast, you can buy me a coffee. Buymeacoffee.com slash tommysoutdoors. The link is in the description of the show. And once you're done with listening to this podcast, if you liked it, uh, give me five star rating on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. Five star rating, it's always great help for the for me for the podcast and gives me morale boost to uh, keep making those episodes. And so that's it for this introduction. And now, marine protected areas and marine protected areas management plans. Folks, welcome to the show. It's uh, it finally happened. It finally happened. We waited for quite a while to make this podcast, uh, uh, to record this podcast, and today we are going to talk about MPA management plans, marine protected areas. I'm super excited to talk about it. This is this is subject that a lot of my listeners are quite passionate about. But before we start, round of introduction. I'm Amy Williams, and I am one of the project officers for the MARPAM project, and I am developing 
the Marine Protected Area Management Plans for the Argyll Marine Region in Scotland. Hi guys, uh, PJ here, PJ McGuire. I'm working uh, with Birdwatch Ireland and also working in collaboration with AFPI and David, who's on the call here. Um, the uh, Republic of Ireland representative for the MARPAM project. Good afternoon all. Um, my name's David Stevenson and I am the MPA Management Policy Officer for Northern Ireland. Um, I work for the Agri-Food and Biosciences Institute, which is an ad hoc research agency as part of the Department of Agriculture, Environment and Rural Affairs in Northern Ireland. Um, in my role, I work quite close, uh, collaboratively and together with uh, PJ McGuire and Birdwatch Ireland. Um, the two of us combined for form more palm Irish regions. Quite a lot of people are 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 quite excited and you know know the importance of MPAs. But I presume, just to lay it out everything from start to finish, what are the MPAs? Like, if you can give a, like a definition, what are the MPAs? What are they important? And and what's up for for all those who don't know? I don't know. Like, how could you not know these days what MPA is? But please anyway well i can tell you from a, a republic of ireland stage anyway um, an mpa is certainly a big topic um across the country mainly because of the public consultation that was released to expand the network of mpas uh, because it's it's been i suppose minute to say the least over the last number of years uh, mpa is a marine protected area specializing in the focus on the conservation of marine habitats and marine animals. And up until this point, in the Republic of Ireland anyway, we have had no legal protection or very little legal protection towards marine protected or marine environments. So it's a very hot topic in my area at the moment, but it's there for the purpose of protecting our marine environment, which is probably why I work very closely with David uh, because we share the exact same coastline, so yeah. Are there any any differences? So, like, I suppose the definition of marine protected areas is consistent across the world. It's it's a it's a area that's supposed to protect habitat and and. But then, um, you folks, like like you mentioned, and like we mentioned before in Marpam, the the I guess the difficulty, but also the big advantage of Marpam is that you're working cross cross borders so are there any um you know significant differences in in those definitions of what mpa is across the different jurisdictions different borders that you worked on so um in scotland we have some marine protected areas that are for historic landmarks also so for example shipwrecks um and in my region in argyle we have three um historic shipwrecks that are protected by um being mpas um, and in Scotland, um, they're multi-use sites, so activities are still allowed to take place. But depending on what the activity is and the sensitivity of the feature depends what you can and can't do within that marine protected area. So it's not purely from the ecological, biological standpoint, but also like a historical, cultural standpoint. Yes, exactly. Um, and we have another tier in Scotland and we don't have one of these in Argyll um, or in our Hebrides, which is the other Marpam region. But we also have demonstration and research MPAs also. Um, so they can be proposed for, for research purposes too. Yeah, so our, in, in Northern Ireland, it would be quite similar to Scotland. The only thing is we don't have 
cultural MPAs or historical MPAs, or we don't have research and demonstration MPAs. However, from an all-Ireland perspective, it's any intertidal or subtidal area that is covered by seawater, which has an important uh, feature, including flora, fauna, or habitat. And within that, getting into the detail of it, cultural aspects are an important consideration as part of the MPA process. And from our perspective in Marapam, we take them into consideration. Um, Northern Ireland has had a good history with marine protection. We were the first uh, province in the UK to uh, bring in, in the mid-90s, a marine nature reserve for Strangford Lock. And all the good work that the government here has done uh, has built upon that. So we have a system where our MPAs are built from uh, special protection areas for seabirds, special areas of conservation for the likes of marine mammals, seals, or benthic features such as reefs. And then we've got uh, our marine conservation zones, which are more detailed focus on the marine environment and about marine conservation and marine enhancement. And the final one then is uh, coastal areas of scenic scientific importance, which is your ASSIs, which will differ from Scotland and differ from the Republic of Ireland, even different from Wales and England. But the focus is that these four designations combine to form a considerable network of marine protected areas. Now, under this network currently, management has become a major issue and a major conservation argument going forward. We take a lot of guidance on marine management from the OSPAR convention. And in doing that, our MPAs currently have conservation objectives. They have their threats and they have where management considerations are required. However, we are limited and uh, lacking in definitive management measures for MPAs. So in the future in Northern Ireland, the growing awareness is moving into a greater OSPAR classification of fully marine managed networks. And our work within Marpam and our work within Marpam Irish regions, which is the collaboration between Northern Ireland and the Republic of Ireland, is hopefully helping to move along that process. So as myself and PJ would always say, we're step one and step two probably of a 10 step process. But this is good, remarkable work that we're doing, and we will hopefully be making a difference through conservation objectives, sustainability, and enhancement and recovery of uh, priority features going forward. I'm just wondering um, if, to give some context, like David was saying, uh, in Scotland, we do also have um, special areas of conservation and special protection areas. So you kind of have your European sites that are designated under European legislation and then you have your national legislation that also allows you to designate other sites, um, which is where our nature conservation MPAs come into play in Scotland, as well as our um, historic MPAs, which is the kind of cultural aspect um, and the demonstration and research MPAs as well. So it's kind of a multi-tiered network as well as Ramsar sites and triple <laughs> SIs. It's complex. And tell me, like, how much, because uh, maybe that's just my um, ignorance, but how much of the the uh, kind of cultural aspect is 
part of 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 your work is it is it something that is just there because you have to deal with that but your main focus is on habitat and wildlife and 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 or you 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 know so i'm trying to gauge like is it is it just inconvenience that this other aspect is there because like in my head and probably in in head of many uh nature lovers let's use this umbrella term mpas are all about protection all about conservation and now all of a sudden we have this cultural aspect right and we know there's this discussion going on uh i know in the uk and probably in ireland as well about national parks that national parks are also you know there is a there's a discussion like whether there should be protection of habitat and wildlife or whether they're just protection of you know cultural heritage and and stuff like that so is is there a little bit of a of a tension and conflict there i think perhaps um it is definitely an important aspect to consider um especially if something has um you know an an activity for example in the area is something that has been undertaken for a long time so we have to understand what people's cultural ties are to that region um but also it's something that people want to better understand what the cultural aspects are in the region as well whether that be the benefits or um what those kind of opportunities might bring as well so i think it's an important factor to consider yeah 100% and it does come into play like obviously with our project the biggest form of engagement that we use as as project management officers is engagement of stakeholders and we have the added benefit of having such a wide array of stakeholders from your heads of department to your local fishermen and it's great to see that wide diversity coming on board to the well zoom due to the pandemic but um coming board together and actually having their own views and putting them into our into our database and we're feeding out a management plan based off of that that's what marpam has hoped to achieve and we've certainly noticed these i suppose you could say conflicts i would probably say it's more passion for their industry their sector or their area of interest uh, it's it's like we we have our conservationists within the group that would prefer if npa is strictly focused on the protection and nothing but of habitats wildlife and everything else where you have people in industry and people of cultural uh like organizations looking more around the coastline and the features around the coastline and actually having them as an important factor and they don't even consider what goes on under the water you know which isn't their fault that's not what they're interested in but it's valuable that they're in that group because they look at things in a different way which we need to look at every aspect when doing these projects because i suppose especially from our point of view um nothing has been done like this ever in in the island of ireland and um, we've never joined together to put to put a project man a pr- management plan together which is an amazing thing in its own and and it has to be done and it's great to see such a diverse collection in the steering group meetings but like we share the same coastline like i said so it needs to come into play but definitely yeah it, passion of interest is what we kind of look at it as different sectors different people different interests but yeah for sure i will take other way it's it's a it's not a conflict it's a passion or an interest so. yeah 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 exactly yeah 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 <laughs> no i mean like uh, obviously uh, we can call it whatever we want you know i i i heard it also like you know uh, that conservation is management of conflict no ma- no matter what but you know that that conflict stems out of the passion for for particular areas that people are interested in. Uh, David, anything you to add to, to that? 
Yeah, I find this a very fundamental, interesting question. Um, from our perspective, uh, instead of conflict, we try and flip it on the head a bit. And it's a uh, the biggest question always in Northern Ireland with regards to uh, management of our natural environment is economy versus environment type thing. It's uh, historically it has been it's, it's it's been a thing. So about flipping on flipping that argument on its head and actually turning it into well, it's both sides of the same argument. I for a really really good economy, a really good societal setup, or and a really good ecological or environmental setup. We need to combine the three. So we look at it as an as a social ecological system, which means that all spheres of influence are connected. And within that, if we can bring in management guidance or management measures that enhance and uh, help to conserve our marine environment, then we, we're helping to sustain livelihoods in the fishing industry and the aquaculture industry for, for long-term sustainability as well. I think that we need to have a marine environment that, that works with the economy, but helps to not only bring in good ecological status, but to help look after the ecosystem services that it brings. And that's why we try and focus the work of our stakeholders in the ecosystem services provisions. No, for sure. And you know what, what strikes me is that you 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 touching you folks touching on the two at one go on the two important aspects one important aspect is this um i guess it's down to engagement with stakeholders and uh, i was blown away pj you said that you're you're lucky that you have a wide diversity of the engagement which in my head is is probably a nightmare because i would imagine that there are conflicting interests you know and and everybody's passionate about those interests like you said so you know on one hand there is obviously this aspect of you know pretty similar like a conversation that's going on about rewilding i'm i'm, I'm presuming it's the same same where someone uh not particularly informs uh, hears from about mpa marine protected area and their uh interest and their passion is fishing they probably might go uh, you know, with a kind of negative attitude, like, oh my God, they what do they know? Scientists now going to ban us from fishing, right? Um, on the other hand, on the flip side, it is very important to gain support of the, of local people and local economies because without them, um, nothing nothing will happen if, effectively because they live there and they they have their their lives and their livelihoods in there. Um, you, you know, so I, I wonder, you know, how do you manage that how you go about um you know engaging with 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 that that wide range of interests and you know follow-up questions like what are the ways to find a middle ground because i, I presume the, these interests are often conflicting especially where you know to to an extent marine protected area is an interest in itself uh you know and and you might recommend you know less fishing or 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 you know you may recommend to see certain activities and they're like how you even begin to deal with this i mean i think when i said it was a a, a dream i think what's happening is that we are this project is designed to increase the awareness of mpas all across the region and obviously our goal 
is that we set out management plans that hopefully influence uh, policies in the future to actually implement strong laws, either like making certain areas more stronger in their conservation objectives or allowing bigger engagement from the public and, and fellow stakeholders. We're just there to increase the awareness. David mentioned it already, and it's something we bring up in our in our steering group or our stakeholder meetings all the time, is that we are steps one and two in this long line of increasing our marine protected area network and engaging in, in stakeholders and creating these groups that nobody's really done before for marine environment protection anyway. And because we are steps one and two, we take the information that uh, stakeholders have given us from every aspect, from every industry, from everywhere, and we put it into a management plan that is uh, attempting to be as friendly as possible to everybody that has given input into us, and then passing it on to uh, departments and eventually leading into policy. So it's a dream for us because, I mean, it would be a shame if our major industry leaders or our, our, I suppose, our biggest hitters in terms of people that use the marine habitats or people that are engaging with it on a day-to-day basis, if they didn't know any of this was going on, I think that would be a nightmare. But the fact that we have them in here is a big advantage to us and these issues are going to come at us now or they're going to come at us in the future. And I think we would all sooner it happens in step one or two than step 10. So I suppose the easiest way that we engage with it is we take on all the points um, and then we obviously have to put on our MARPAM project officer hat on and put it into a management plan that isn't completely unrealistic. I mean, certain people might want MPAs to just be big, massive electric fences with guard watches, you know, looking over it and making sure nobody goes into it. And then other people would like to, I know, increase different activities within it, but whether that's like recreative activities or industry activities, whatever it might be. But we have to obviously take everything we get and put it into a management plan that's friendly or attempting to be friendly with anyone. But you're right. It's, I wouldn't say it's the easiest job in the world with such a wide array of, of interest, but um, it's great that everyone's on, bo- on, on board. It means we're doing something right anyway. <laughs> yeah, so um, we had a, a very similar approach in Argyle to PJ and David, where we had a steering group with a range of stakeholder interests on there. So I guess to answer your question about kind of how you start <laughs> going about that, um, I think in the initial stages, all we really tried to do was identify the opportunities of MPAs, but also the challenges. And that's essentially a brain dumping exercise that you do with people and to collect that information so that's the kind of very very first step I took but we also took a lot of time to try and build trust and be transparent and I think that's really key no matter who your stakeholder is to put that time in to form relationships with them um because I think sometimes um you know, you won't get the most out of your conversations if you if you're not totally transparent about about what the um, process will look like, for example. Um, so we put in a lot of time um, tr- trying to you know be very transparent and, and engage at every stage of the process. Um, and yeah, we essentially started with those opportunities and challenges, and over a couple of years, kind of worked our way through those and and. To create a vision that everybody or everyone on the steering group felt was um, 
appropriate. Let's use the word appropriate. <laughs> um, and um, I think that was the best way forward because there is going to be um, slightly difference of opinion, but what we hopefully will provide is something that everybody can can agree with um, or get on board with the actions that might be in there. So um, that was the kind of approach that we took, but also trying to manage expectation as well, because like PJ said, there will be varying levels of what that might look like and, and what we can actually um, produce as well. The only thing I would add in is... When we started off developing the stakeholder engagement process, we did a generalised uh, marine management uh, questionnaire, which we put out over our own uh, social media feed, which was to try and engage with the general public, just in general thoughts. You know, what is marine management to you? What would you like to see from it in the future? And where do you think the biggest opportunities and threats are? So from there, the response rate and that was very good. And from that response rate, we we were starting to be able to develop the picture of, number one, how the steering groups would work. Number two, what were the first steps in this, such as your benefits map and your challenges, and then uh, analyzing them all through a SWOT and then into a governance model about um, what we would try to do and seek in the future. But moving back to managing uh, stakeholder expectations, we have a really fun time doing this. Um, we have great stakeholders. We, they're really great at engagement and putting their perspectives in. So what we like to do is try and bring it back to the more palm objective outputs every time. And that's where our line is for managing stakeholders' expectations. Because as this is, as this is done through a European-funded initiative, we're not departments. We cannot tell people that they cannot fish in this area or they cannot enter this area. But it's about helping to put the onus on stakeholders and then by doing that, hopefully they spread to the wider general public about what is a positive and what is a good way to act when you're in a marine and coastal environment. So the most obvious one is if you're walking your dog, walk it on a lead. Make sure you lift the dog mess if it, if it fouls. It's, it's simple things like that help to bring it back to back to best practice measures that can help enhance not only special protection areas with seabirds, because if the dog's on a lead, it can't attack a nesting seabird. So it's about, it's about putting that onus on stakeholders and then to the general public about how to behave in a sustainable manner when you're at the beach, when you're out in the water, when you're wildlife watching or general fishing and it's about trying to pursue that positive mindset through the process and and how does engagement look like so are you reaching out to sort of industry leaders and uh, try to talk with them or are there like you know more public in in in, in nature saying like oh this day at this place you know you can show up and voice your opinions or is it like mixture of both how does that look like so i'll jump on this one first um we are we in northern ireland are predominantly different between scotland and even the republic of ireland we have a very central regionalized base of government everything to do with marine protection and marine conservation is run through a central department so as a result of that, we took the best approach based on that questionnaire I mentioned previously. 
to develop a stakeholder mapping initiative that looked at key industry points. So we looked at industry, NGOs, governmental departments, local authorities, uh, community members, uh, general industry members such as fish and aquaculture, and then trying to gauge a pool from there of about 20 to 50 over the three steering groups. Different stakeholders that would basically provide us with the best current best practice that they work with for us to help develop our benefits map and develop our current challenges and develop marine guidance measures moving forward. It wasn't the easiest task in the world, but it has been very rewarding through the way we've done it. And we've successfully set up three steering groups, one for the regional area, which covers from Mullochmore and County Sligo, the whole uh, near the whole near area of uh, sorry, the whole inshore area of Northern Ireland, and uh, down to Salterstown in Dundalk Bay, and then we have uh, two site specifics in uh, the Carlingford SPA plan area, which is cross border and very collaborative, and then the Murloc SAC, which is Murloc is one of the key priority. Uh, habitats in Northern Ireland for marine protection. Um, from uh, our Gael side um, in Scotland, we kind of had a multi-tiered approach. Um, so initially, we kind of drafted up what we um, thought the steering group might comprise of, the various industries, NGOs, regulatory authorities, and what we thought would be appropriate to steer um, the, the process because Argyle is quite geographically complex. There's 23 inhabited islands. It would be almost impossible to reach every single person um, as well as, as the mainland. So um, based on previous projects that that had undertaken similar work in the area before, um, I kind of took the lessons learned from those projects and we, we decided to go with a steering group. But what we did do is go out into the community at the very start of the project within the first six months and ask where they felt they fit on that list and if that uh, the identified um, body they felt could sit on the group and, and you know put across their interests. And that definitely led us to developing the group a little further and it was really helpful. But it also meant that we were getting in contact with people that might not feel that anybody could represent them and you know and, and have that discussion with them anyway. Um, so we were kind of guided by the steering group and had dedicated steering group meetings about once a quarter. And sometimes, you know, you would have additional meetings if you needed to talk about something in particular. But I also did attend pre-existing meetings where we would present about the project and people could feedback their ideas or have one-to-one -one sessions with people that were maybe more interested um, I think, unfortunately, COVID also led to a bit of a reduction in that level of engagement because I think all of us had planned to go into the community a lot more in the second year of the project, which was 2020. Um, so that was a bit of a shame and everything moved online. Um, but we definitely tried a, a more multi-tier approach and I would definitely go for a bit of both if I was to do it again because I think it's really valuable and you're never going to capture everybody. Um, and I know that in the Outer Hebrides, uh, Charlie had a working group that she worked with, um, but also she went out into the community a lot more and, and had direct conversations with people through community events. 
um, and workshops as well. Shout out to Charlie. She, she couldn't join us, unfortunately, today. But. Yeah, well, Dave has kind of said it all, really. I mean, as I said, we work really closely together um, and, and I actually came on a bit later than David. So the steering groups had already been established by the time I jumped on board. Uh, one of my roles was actually trying to get more the more bodies from the south from the republic of ireland on board and as i've already mentioned the major focus in the republic of ireland is to actually start building an mpa network so in terms of argyle and northern ireland we're not at that stage in mpas and like i think the one the one the articles that i read out was that um, uh, Republic of Irish Waters, uh, it's actually only 4% is protected. Um, and that's at, that's just through SAC, Special Areas of Conservation, and they're just some offshore rock areas that are used as habitats for marine mammals. So we're at a very early stage in the development of our uh, marine protected area, but it's, it's it's been great for me to actually have the chance to engage with, uh, with different people down on our end. And I do think that we will use or MARPAM will be used as a project and kind of a guiding light in how we manage our marine protected areas in the Republic of Ireland once they do come about. And it, I, I think we have no choice to. It's covered a massive chunk of the country. So I, it's definitely going to be a, a prime example of what the Republic of Ireland looks at in terms of engagement. But from my side, it's been brilliant on engaging with new people and getting them onto the steering groups they they obviously love to do it you know they they work on it or they're part of it every day so yeah good good to, good to hear that and you know especially like you mentioned the, the republic of Ireland needs that badly uh you mentioned there's nothing is like four percent protected so uh, it's 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 really good to hear that. Uh, listen, folks, are there any common themes during those engagement, like a like a something that is you know comes across the across the different stakeholders? Well, w one of the common themes that David's already touched on is um, because this is a quite unique project. Is that um, there are a number of stakeholders that think that we can implement like rules and laws and legislation. We can't. We uh, we are non-governmental bodies, and we can't actually implement any policy towards what we do. This is all based off of aspirational goals. So one of the common themes is, um, I suppose, people have never looked at a project in this light before. So we're steps one and two, but they think we're steps one all the way to the end. So that's a very common theme that comes up a good few times, um, and then that's just obviously stakeholder management then in terms of letting them know that we are uh, trying to build something here. We're not actually implementing anything, you know? Just uh, to build on what PJ was saying there as well, another big common theme coming out through all our steering groups is, cli is climate change and the impacts that climate change could bring to our marine environment. And it's really, really good to see stakeholders that are actively working on the ground within the marine environment, be it industry or be it NGOs, are starting to think the same way about the impact of climate change and how we need to start looking towards adaptation and even now looking at short-term mitigation and about how do we enhance conservation of marine protected areas when a lot of the issues such as sea level temperature increases are going to be very difficult to manage 
in the future. So it's really, really good to see this. And it's really good to see that our stakeholders are not taking what they're being told from the government, but they're actually coming up with this stuff themselves. So it shows that local that localism, it shows that local ownership of their environment and that they care and that they feel this is a very important asset, not only from an ecological perspective, but for economy, society, for governance in general. And it really means that what we do going beyond more palm and looking to the future, it, it it probably and hopefully will make a big difference. I think one of the key themes that we've found and and I think Ireland and Northern Ireland pulled it out very early on as well and, and so did the Outer Hebrides um is is just about general awareness of MPAs and the different nuances in different in different parts of not only the UK, but the world. So like you said, like the term MPA is generally the same, but they, it can actually mean very different things depending on how it's how it's used. And so I think that's quite confusing. Um, and also there's different types of MPA based on whether it's a European site or if it's a national site. Um, and there's lots of acronyms that go with it and where do you find information and so I think just general knowledge and awareness is something we've all kind of realised um, you know there needs to be some development with and, and, and kind of worked on a little bit um, and I think that's something that people will be more engaged if, if some of the information or, or understanding it was just a bit more user friendly of where to find information and how to, how to get that information cumulative impacts is something that is brought up quite a lot understanding what the cumulative impacts of different activities might be within an area oh, what's, and, what's and, that what's cumulative impact um so if you have multiple different activities happening in one area what those all, all those uh, activities what that impact might be together on a species or habitat for example um so understanding that and, and, and how to assess for that. Um, but also we, we have some conversations about invasive species as well um, and kind of topics like that. I think just coming back onto the common themes that we've had, and it's been a really interesting one for us, is that we have a number of stakeholders within all of our groups, I think, that actually do not know where to report anything or who is responsible for anything. Um, the, that is available and that is there. If, if they were to go and search it, they would find it. But I think it's just the ease of access to that. We've had it mentioned in our steering group meetings, how do I report or who do I report to uh, regarding an abandoned boat? Or if I have a, if I spot a pot of minky whales, who am I going to report that to, you know? Um, and it's one of the great things about our steering group meetings because they plan on continuing once the Marpan project finishes. So that network will always be available and we've set up our own online platform to kind of guide people towards which authority is which. Um, and we've published that and that's out there for everyone to have. Uh, I know we did one in the Irish regions and Amy's done a brilliant one in Argyle as well. That's one of the pro that's one of the project outputs that we're all proud of being that one-stop shop where if somebody's out dog walking and they spot a, a pod of rare mammals, they're able to go home and search straight away MPA or Marine Protected Area uh, like Dundalk or Carlingford. It, we will pop up, which is great, you know. 
Um, but that's been a very common theme: who to report to and who's responsible for which. You know. And is it is it like a website for each uh, marine protected area that that people can look up, or like how does that work? Because that's actually very important. Yeah, we've got a story map. I must share it with you after this. And um, we've got a story map for the Irish regions, and, and Amy, you've got one for Argyll as well. Um, it's just got the information that you need about each MPA within our region, uh, what's in it, what's it, what it's about, and what actual objectives we've come together and, and produced as a stakeholder group within each, um, within obviously the regional one for us and the two site specific. So I'll share the link with you. Yeah, and we've put it up on our own page. It's, it's really yeah, helpful. Yeah, I, I'll put it in the, in the show notes as well and in, in the description of this episode, uh, those links. Um yeah, and, and you know what? You touched on a very important thing because I, I noticed the same thing. You know, like you you spotted like a dead seal or a or a or a stranded dolphin on the beach, and like, what do I do? And there's a lot of people who like they are instinctively feel that they should do something about it, but like you said, like, oh, what I'm what I'm going to do about it, right? I, I I even make that like a video, YouTube video, like what you do when you when you spotted a, a uh, you know dead dolphin, like where you you go and you report it and whatever else. Um, or, or, you know, another example was when, you know, my, my fishing buddy, actually, he, he called me up like 1am in the morning because he was coming back fishing, right? That's when you're coming back from fishing 1am and he goes like, Hey, listen, this in a, in the bay, there's like a smell of, a, of, a, of a kerosene in the water and like, whatever, what do I do? What do I do? So there's a, there's a huge need for, you know, people being able to, to report that. That's very important. Folks, um, so overall, like, how how deep you are right now with the project? You know, how how at what stage is it? Is it like all going to conclude at the same time, or is it like each area will conclude at a different time? So where 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 are we now with with Marpam? I, we're all at, I guess, kind of different stages. So I can speak on the Scotland um, side for Charlie and I. Um, so the project is supposed to conclude in September this year. Uh, it started in about January 2019. So we're over the three-year three, three year mark. Um, but Charlie and I, I've developed a, a series of objectives and recommendations for the marine protected areas in Argyll, which were agreed by our steering group. And I know that Charlie has also come up with um, some objectives and, and recommendations for the Outer Hebrides side of things as well. So that is embedded in the form of a public consultation to get opinions, wider opinions on, on what they contain and, and feedback on what the priorities within those might be. Um, so that's due to go to public consultation very soon. And it'll go out um, for, we've not, because it's not a statutory process, um, we've not decided on the number of weeks that it has to go to public consultation for, but say it was eight, 12 weeks long. And then we would look at that information and kind of do a, a, a bit of an analysis to try and prioritise the, the kind of recommendations that we should be maybe taking forward or recommending is taken forward. Um, and it's not just... Uh, for us, our uh, kind of management bodies, Marine Scotland, but it could be the responsibility of various regulatory bodies to maybe take some of those actions forward. So um, the onus isn't just on on, on one body um, or it could be picked up if it's a recommendation, um, something that a community group could do, that would be more than um, more than happy to do that. So it's just kind of some of the recommendations are a bit more maybe policy 
driven and some are a bit more at the community level as well. So it's just understanding who might be able to implement what, I guess, of those actions. Um, But the whole point of the consultation for us is to kind of prioritise and see what people think are perhaps the top priorities that need to be taken forward for the MPAs. Our approach is slightly different. Um, so we're currently are, we're at the stage now of plan drafting. Um, we have successfully done a first draft and now we are going through stakeholder comments and updating and by the end of May we will have a renewed up-to-date drafts moving towards final drafting for the end of June. Um, the reason we differ a bit is that we have we we are using stakeholder aspirational um, objectives as well as best practice to create marine guidance, and the marine guidance is focused on strategic guidance with actions to achieve the guidance and then measurables for monitoring. And within that process, um, we hope to start the first steps towards an actual marine management document for regional MPAs and the site specifics of Murloc and uh, Carninford. And then within that, we are conducting, and we it's, it's been an ongoing process, informal consultation. So instead of us putting out the document for consultation, um, we are doing it informally through the stakeholders within the steering groups because we believe that they represent uh, the majority who would have uh, commented at all anyway from the from uh, public stakeholder engagement exercise. And because we've done the questionnaire at the front end as well, we can bring that, that those attributes on board. And um, hopefully then when we finish this, we do hand this over to the departments that are have statutory responsibility here. So in Northern Ireland, it's a bit easier because it's not as ad hoc uh, dividends between departments because general most marine uh, conservation attributes are done by the Department of Agriculture, Environment and Rural Affairs. You'll have some aspects done by the Department of Infrastructure in relation to ports and harbours. But from a conservation perspective, it's mainly done by one central department. So that makes it a bit easier when we hand over a plan document to them and then it's up to them what they do next and the next steps of that. But I believe from our recommendations coming out next steps will include uh, developing a full public uh, consultation by the department, uh, which would include the, the necessary statutory associated documents. I think that's an important um, distinction between how David um, and PJ's route between ours is David and PJ will be going down a more statutory route, whereas ours is a voluntary plan and so is not a statutory process. I actually need to clarify that one. Ours is non ours is non-statutory, but the process seems to be quite statutory, even though it's non-statutory. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I mean, I mean, from that all we do is non-statutory, so it's guidance, but the reason that we're doing guidance is that under the draft marine plan, which will be the marine plan, Northern Ireland 2013, within the legislation, there is the ability to write guidance to help support its implementation. So everything we do apart from the guidance is looking at helping Northern Ireland and the Republic of Ireland to hit their objective and to hit their outputs as part of their marine spatial planning. Uh, goals and objectives as part of their um, marine plans 
and it's to help enhance the support for achieving the objectives as part of that. Davis kind of uh, hit on the head. I think uh, maybe one of the reasons, I don't know about like out in Argyll, but like we've had massive, massive support from department on our ends, uh, which is, and, and I mean, look, we're, we're the non-governmental bodies here. So we, we've, we've never really produced anything that's, that's actual statutory policy, whereas those guys have. And I think the idea is that they are gearing this project towards actual influence of statutory policy in the future. And they've given us the guidance in terms of like, they've been a part of all of our steering group meetings, which has been great. And obviously they're the people that are going to be taking it on and they've actively engaged with the project, which is great. And that, I think that's the reason for the, for the kind of difference between us and um, but yeah, it's it's great to have that on our side, you know, and um, what because you know it's obviously going over into good hands when we finish the project as well. So hopefully, those uh, those guidance will be taken seriously by the policymakers, um, folks. What was the like a biggest learning from the whole project, or or most surprising maybe for me to cut for it? Like I'm working with Birdwatch Ireland, so I'm a birdman, and um, through and through, so. I suppose from my perspective, I've just found it amazing to see all the different views that people have throughout the group. You know, I mean, uh, looking at NPAs and as I studied it and as I, I, I grew to know it through the project and everything, I've always viewed NPAs in light of SPA, Special Area of Protection, which obviously have the focus on birds. And I always looked at it from that point and then mind was just blown when I came into this world and realized there's so much more going on. I always knew it was there, but from my own side, that was the biggest learning for us and, and, and great for Birdwatch Ireland as well, that we're part of this as a project, you know? Maybe not a surprise, but something I was very, um, which I found is that although there are a broad range of views there are a lot of commonality between them as well and um I think that's important when setting a vision in particular so that was really nice um but also I guess biggest learning curve is that um that you can't really put a value on building that trust with your stakeholders because that's how you get um you know the progress that you need in order to to do something like this yeah, so from my perspective, one of the biggest learning curves for me has been that the importance of scientific information and data to help support decision-making is really important. But the other side of that coin as well is that stakeholder inputs are as important as well. So we're into this field of crossover between social science and very heavy science. And traditionally both have worked in environments or arenas that are very, they don't connect. So this project has helped develop that perspective for me, which is that the social science aspects are important. The scientific modeling outputs are important. And when we bring those two together, we actually start to build something that's really robust. Not only is it up to scientific scratch because we have the physical evidence to support it, but also as well, we've the qualitative needs and aspirations of stakeholders, the general public and the people on the ground working on the environment. And when we combine those two factors, we help to create something that not only is going to enhance conservation objectives, but hopefully enhance society in general by 
being as inclusive as possible for people, for society, for economy, for environment, for ecology, for conservation, and for general governance. Yeah, you you touch on the very very important aspect of uh, of of it. And even people who are listening to all the series of episodes about Marpam, uh, they probably noticed that that we're 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 kind of oscillating between talking about engagement and you know uh, understanding the needs and cultural aspect of it on one hand, and then we have episodes where you go like hard science, uh, you know, gathering data and models to model stuff and so on, which is which is to your point very important that all that kind of is uh, you know is synergetic in a way. Uh, to produce those those management plans, folks. Um, this is this is fantastic work that you're doing, and uh, um, and I, I hope you know. Especially, my heart is close to Republic of Ireland because that's where I'm based. So I hope we will have like a great marine protected areas. Um, that not to say that there, you know, everything that you do in the Nor Northern Ireland and Scotland are uh, you know equally important. Um, Folks, just to uh, wrap this up, uh, I would like to ask you a question that I, I always, it's, it's actually the same question I am asking all, all my, uh, especially scientists, at the end of, the, of each episode, and my listeners already know what's coming. Uh, and, and my question is like, what are your uh, views and what is your prognosis for the future in, in terms of, you know, uh, protection of the wildlife protection of the habitat um you know climate change you know how does it look like does it look bleak does it look optimistic does it uh you know look great from your perspective i'm just i'm just curious uh your views on on you know outlook for the future 10 years 20 years i like to think a bit more long term from the short term as myself and pj have pointed out throughout we're step one and two It'll be great to look back in this in 10 years and we're at step 10 and looking at how the guidance we've created, how the work with the stakeholders, how the benefits mapping and the story maps has helped to create an optimistic future for our marine environments and habitats. I think there's work to be done, definitely. I would love to see an environment where economy, society and ecology all work together sustainably and for each you know one for all type scenario but this work is vital this work is important and this work is the initial steps to help achieve that in northern ireland and the republic of ireland the second thing as well is from a cross boundary perspective this work we've done has never been done before and this just shows the potential i i agree with david that there there's work still to be done but this is definitely a step in the right direction and there's other programs of work outside MARPAM going on that are additional steps in the right direction so I think it 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 might take some time but we're working towards a brighter better marine environment. Yeah well I mean look I suppose the existence of the project in itself kind of answers your question Tommy you know I mean it, we're <laughs> We're, we're, uh, we're, we're doing a project to try and enhance the engagement and awareness of MPAs across the, across the regions. So some people might turn around and say, maybe these projects have come about due to added pressures in the environment. And, and look, even if that's true or not, it doesn't really matter. The fact that the, the fact of it is we're on the podcast here talking about it. We're doing scientific work all across the region for it. And we're engaging with um, hundreds of people in meetings every single month on Zoom for the one purpose of increasing conservation for the marine environment. So 
look, it's definitely strong. There's no, I'm not going to turn around and say that we've got no obstacles ahead. But uh, the fact that Marpam, all these other projects that are going on at the moment are all doing the same kind of thing with the same goal. Um, I mean, I think it's a, I think it's, it's a great start anyway, <laughs> to say the least. I'm glad. I'm glad to hear the. Uh, uh, you know, it goes with the hashtag Ocean Optimism. Yes, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> that's a that's a fantastic uh, summary of this uh, of this podcast, folks. Thanks again for your time and uh, all the best for your work. Keep doing what you're doing. It's a it's a greatly valuable work. And um, yeah, I, I think I'll, I'll see you. I'll see you in person uh, on the on the on the end of the of the program sometime in June. Yeah. All right. Thanks a lot. Thank you. Thank you you for listening. If you enjoyed the podcast, please leave me five-star rating on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. This is great help for me and for the podcast. And while you're already there, don't forget to subscribe to my newsletter. The link is in the description of the show.